Welcome to Alive with Jesus. The two most important issues for you and everyone is whether you are alive or not and whether you are with Jesus or without Jesus. Alive with Jesus is focused on growing your faith by knowing truth with certainty, building on a solid foundation of God's word that gives you fulfillment and passion on purpose. Our verse is 1 Thessalonians 5.10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Join us as we build on a solid foundation so that every day from now through eternity, we are truly alive with Jesus. God, thanks for this time to look at your word, to hear from you and learn about you and learn about your plan for us and how you want us to live. We ask your blessing on those that hear this word and that they grow closer to you in their search for truth, uh, for your truth. So bless the listener and bless your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. I am your host, Stuart, and with me, I have Nathan. This time we are going over the woman caught in adultery. This is one that you've probably heard or at least a, a phrase or two has been used, a very popular phrase that we'll get to. Um, but I don't know that you've heard it this way. At least I can't remember the last time I heard anyone preach it this way. Um, but we're, we're going to just look at every word of God. And if anything, that's one of the big things that helped me anyway to prevent deception and uh, because all the way back in Genesis 3, Satan saying, did God really say? And so the important thing, even according to Jesus, always saying it is written, it is written. Uh, what did God say? What What does the word say? How does it apply to us today? And then, of course, we'll also put a few ideas of what Jesus actually wrote in the sand. Now, I'm normally, at least in the last couple of years, I am not a big fan of conjecture about when it comes to the word. I think the conjecture can be dangerous. I think it can lead people astray and in general my thought is if God wanted me to know those details, he would have put it in there. So the fact that Jesus, it's not mentioned what Jesus wrote in the sand. I, I mean, he could have easily put it in there. Why didn't God put in there? Here's what Jesus wrote on the sand. Well, he did it. So we can have conjecture all we want. And I think that can be, um, many times more of a problem than if you just leave it alone and just recognize, well, if God wanted me to know, he'd have put it in there. So since he didn't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what he wrote because we won't know. You, you could have a strong opinion. I could have a strong opinion. And neither one of us would know because it doesn't really say. But sometimes it's fun to just kind of, you know, throw some stuff out there. But we're going to read through the account, and it starts in John 8, but I actually want to start in John chapter 7, because I want to get a running start and that you see the context or at least a pattern of Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. So we're going to start at verse 45. Yeah, we'll start at verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, why have ye not brought him? Talking about Jesus. The officers answered, never man spake like this man. Now that is a interesting thing because Jesus was constantly saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And they're talking to these scribes and Pharisees and chief priests and officers. They aren't talking that way. Well, what are they talking about that? If they aren't saying it is written, it is written. What are they saying? Well, we find out, uh, we'll see a few instances of that as we go. 
Verse 47, then answered them, the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? So here we have an appeal to authority and to the crowds. Hey, you know, is any other pastor teaching that? Is any other? Well, I know some preachers that, that this is what they believe. So that's what I'm going to go by. So that's what they're trying to say. Jesus said this, but is anyone else really saying it? And again, very dangerous. Now, this next verse, I find very interesting. Verse 49, this is still a Pharisee talking, but this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Their words, this is coming out of their mouth. So who do they say is cursed? Those uh, who knoweth not the law. Very interesting. That'll be a key component here later. But we'll continue. Verse 50, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, that's going back to John chapter 3, which we are going to go to John chapter 3 in a little bit. Verse 51, Nicodemus talking, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Now that's interesting. They said out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Do you know there actually is a prophet out of Galilee? That would be in Second Kings chapter 14, verse 25. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the Sea of the Plain, according to the word of the Lord of God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath Hefer. If you look on a Bible map where that is, that's in Galilee. So it's almost humorous if it wasn't sad because they just said, if you don't know the law, you're cursed. And two verses later, they say, are there any prophets out of Galilee? Well, how did you not know about Jonah? And Jesus himself said he would give them the sign of the prophet Jonah. So right away, they're showing their ignorance, at least their Bible ignorance. They know enough that you'll be cursed if you don't know it, but they don't know it themselves. They, they missed that. It's right there. It's not, not a mystery. So anyway, now let's go to chapter eight. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again unto the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. That's an important little clue here. Verse five, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now that is just fascinating that they, I mean, you know, you think, oh, they asked Jesus a question. He's got to answer him. Yeah, he must, he must give them an answer. He didn't say a word. He just ignored him and started writing on the ground. It's fascinating. Before we continue, they made a claim here. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? So let's go and see what the law actually says in this matter so that we uh, know exactly what the law says and see if Jesus responds accordingly because the Pharisees say they know the law and if you don't know the law then you should be cursed. So we're going to go to Leviticus 20 um, verse 10 says and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer 
and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So the Pharisees brought this woman claiming caught in the very act of adultery. If she was caught in the act of adultery, you can't commit adultery by yourself. There's someone missing. So according to the law, it says the adulterer and the adulteress self surely be put to death. So they're trying to propose the law here. Why didn't they bring the man? Why did they only bring the woman? So right away, they are violating the law. This, this, that's not what the law says. They brought one. So if we just go by this right here, should she be put to death? Where, where's the dude? It says the man and the woman should be put to death. It doesn't say just put to death the woman. So they're already in violation of the law. Now let's go to another spot. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 17 and we'll start at verse one. Thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God any bullock or sheep where it is blemish or any ill favoredness for that is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now I'm going to, I'm going to pause here for a moment because this is uh, you think about it, you, you're going to bring an offering to God and you're going to take the the weakest one of the flock that you can't make as much money on. Is that what you're going to offer? Does he want your best or does he want the, the scraps under the table? And even in the New Testament, he wants a bride without spot or blemish. It's mentioned multiple times in talking about uh, the Christian life. So I just, we had that reference. So I had to throw that out there. Cross reference. Verse two, if there be found among you within any of the gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant and hath gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded and it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman, which have committed that wicked thing, unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shall stone them with stones till they die. Now here it says, again, it should be the man and the woman, but it says take it to the gates. They're at the temple. That's supposed to take it to the temple. You're supposed to take it to the gates. And you're supposed to search diligently, find that interesting that, that God put that in there. Uh, verse six, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. So do we have more than one witness? They are claiming, are, are the Pharisees claiming they were caught in the very act? So it doesn't say how many are there, but there's quite a few of them that they have witnesses. Now let's look at the next verse. Verse seven, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hands of all the people so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. So, pop quiz. According to the law, Deuteronomy 17, 1 to 7, who is supposed to cast the first stone? I want you to ponder that for a moment. And if you have to reread that again, I'll just, I'll just, Go back over it because I, I want to make sure we're clear because everybody loves the phrase, oh, you're without sin, cast the first stone. We, we haven't even got to that verse yet. But let's look at what verse six and seven. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. The hands of the witnesses 
shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all people, so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. So, pop quiz again. Who is the one according to the law, the law of Moses, this is what the Pharisees were, were claiming, who is, number one, who is to be put to death? Just one that's caught adultery or both? Both. Did they bring both? No, they did not. So they're already in violation of the law. Uh, they're supposed to search diligently. Now they're claiming that they did, that they're caught in the very act. But since they didn't bring both, that's a little sus to use the common vernacular. Now, there's where are they supposed to take the person to cast the stone? To the temple or to the gates of the city? That would be the gates of the city. Is that where the Pharisees brought her? No. So they're in violation of the law number two. Now, how many witnesses do we need? At least two or three. Now, there's more than two or three there, though, the Pharisees, that claim to be witnesses. So, okay, they may have that one. We'll see about that in a moment. And then who is supposed to throw the first stone? It's, it's uh, you look at the wording, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death. So who are the witnesses in this case? The Pharisees. Then Jesus, was Jesus one of the witnesses that caught them in adultery? No. So according to Deuteronomy 17, one to seven, was Jesus one of the ones that should have been the first one to cast stone? No. It should have been the Pharisees. Is that three laws so far? Yeah, three that they've broken so far. Now it gets it gets even better or worse for for them. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter nineteen and we'll go to verse fifteen. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, and any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. All right. Very good. We want that. Verse 16. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. There's that diligent part again. Isn't that interesting? It's not just hearsay. It's not just, oh, I, I saw it. You got to kill him. They're supposed to be diligent inquisition. So it's a serious matter. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. The same phrase as Deuteronomy 17. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So the Pharisees are saying, they witnessed the act of adultery. They didn't bring both parties. They didn't bring her to the gates. If their witness is false, what is to be done to them? If, if, if you have two or three witnesses that have given a false witnesses, which is, which is against one of the 10 commandments, if you go back to Exodus 2016, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, which you have in Exodus 20. You also have the uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. So verse 14 says thou shalt not commit adultery. And verse 16 says thou shalt not bear false witness. So it's very interesting that we have both 
issues spoken about later in greater detail. And uh, it's not, that's not the only place for talking about liars. So uh, as another example, uh, Exodus 23, 7 says, keep thee far from a false matter and the innocent and righteous slay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. And Numbers 35.30, Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. So Numbers talks about the witnesses are the ones that put the person to death. So what, if you, if you are witnessing a murder, if you witness a murder, are you guilty of murder because you witnessed it? No, you, you don't have the sin of murder. So would you be, would it be okay to say he who is without the sin of murder, the witness did not have the sin of murder. The witness in Numbers 3530 is the one that's supposed to put them to death. The witness in Deuteronomy 19 is the one uh, in Deuteronomy 17. The witnesses, the ones that are innocent, they weren't a part of what happened. They are the innocent without sin people. And uh, another verse, Deuteronomy 520, neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor, so there are many, many places, and uh, for sake of time, I won't go through all the ones about lying, but there are a ton of ones about lying. Well, okay, I'll just, I'll have to do one. Um, Proverbs 6, and we'll start at verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Now that's very apropos to our current thing because they're talking about uh, accusing someone of adultery and then we're wondering if they're bearing false witness. So that's in, in the same verse. Uh, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Notice, this is what the Lord hates, and included there is a person, a false witness, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I thought God loved everybody. He, he calls this an abomination. And I, I mean, unless we just get rid of all those verses that say that. So God calls a false witness and a lying tongue an abomination. Does that sound like it's just like, oh, I, I prefer Popeyes, but KFC is okay. Is it just a preference? Is it just a, uh, you know, I can have green beans or I could have an abomination. It's a pretty strong word. So now this is something that the Pharisees seem to do quite often is they like certain verses, but they don't like other verses or they'll only do part of a verse. They won't do every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And this is, these are the people that say they're cursed if you don't know the law and yet they are violating it. Just as another example, they go to Mark chapter seven. I'll try and read this quickly. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, unwashed hands, they found fault for the Pharisees and all the Jews except they wash their hands, oft eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, talking to Jesus, 
why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written. Have we heard him say that before? That's something he, he says before. As it is written, these people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Now he's he's quoting he's quoting this in verse ten. That is in Leviticus twenty, verse nine. And Leviticus twenty has a lot of things in it. And it's interesting that Jesus quotes Leviticus twenty verse nine as something that is a command from God. He doesn't change it. He, he quotes it. So I'm going to start at verse one. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, whosoever he be of the children of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he hath given of his seed to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Profane his holy name. That's an interesting phrase. It's also used in the New Testament, but we'll, we'll have to do that a different time. And if the people of the land do anyways hide their eyes from the man when he giveth of his seed unto Molech and kill him not, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and will cut him off and all that go a whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. Did you catch that? If you hide your eyes from this child sacrifice, this, this idolatry, this abomination, God is going to put his face against you. That's what I, I if you read it, that's, not the whole part of this podcast, but I'm just reading up till we get to his quote. And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy for I am the Lord your God. That's quoted by um, Paul in the New Testament. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord, which sanctify you for everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He that cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. And the man, verse 10, and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulterer shall be put to death. So I noticed these two verses, the Jesus pointed out the Pharisees problem or error in applying verse nine. And he's also pointing out the error of them, uh, verse 10, when he's talking in John eight. So we have two instances where they're trying to claim you should go by the law of Moses when they're not actually going by the law of Moses. And I, that's a big thing that I think is a misunderstanding. People um, talk about doing away with the law or we don't, that the Pharisees were all about the law and that's why Jesus was mad at him. No, I, I'm giving at least two examples right here where he's telling them they're not following the law. They're making up their own traditions. And so let's go back to Mark uh, chapter seven when he quoted uh, verse 10. It says, for Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Now this curseth father or mother, it's not, you, you saw that it talked about wizards and, and other things as well. So we're talking about a spiritual curse here. Um, there's something, something happening, but 
Verse 11, but ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Korban, that is to say a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. So just reading that, is he saying Luke 20 verse 9 is invalid? Or was it that the Pharisees changed it and they weren't following it? And that's what Jesus was upset at. It's their tradition. The Pharisees weren't going by the law. They were adding their own uh, tradition. So I thought that was interesting. Those two verses in Leviticus uh, 20 were ones that the Pharisees um, and Jesus had discussions about. So we will continue on now. So let's just continue. Let's go back to John chapter eight and let's look at the rest of the conversation. So we'll, we'll back up to verse five. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? So it hopefully by now, is that what Moses said? that she should be stoned at the temple by herself? No, that's not what it said. Thus they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger row on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking, he lifted himself up and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, after the passages we read in Deuteronomy 17 and 19 and, and the other ones, do you see that when he says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. What did the law say? Who was supposed to cast a stone according to the law at, at the two adulterers if they were at the gate? The people that were supposed to cast the first stone were the witnesses that were without sin the sin that they witnessed they weren't in cahoots of the sin that they witnessed they were without sin so if if they knew the law like they claimed to in the last 10 verses and said people were cursed if they didn't know the law do you see that the context here and when when people say you got to understand the context of the Bible. I'm talking Genesis one to revelation 22. That this is not, doesn't have anything to do with culture, which I know we got to do one on culture uh, soon, but do you see after we read everything about this scenario and the law, do you see that this wording, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. He, that's not a, uh, a fortune cookie phrase. That's not something that Jesus made up. That's just like, Hey, uh, if you're perfect, then, then you can, but isn't that how we've been taught? That means nobody's perfect. So since you're not perfect and Jesus is the only perfect one. So he's, he's the one that should have cast a stone. No, he's not the one that should have cast the stone. He couldn't, according to the law, because he wasn't a he isn't the one that caught them in adultery. He's not the witnesses. So could Jesus have cast a stone at her? No. Now, yes, he is God. He sees everything. So he witnessed everything, but the law didn't say if God witnessed it, then you can do it. It's the witnesses that wished that, that were not in the taking part in the sin. Now it's, I, I, I need to pause here and make sure I'm not taking away from the genius of God in his wording here. I'm not saying it only applies to the law. I don't want to take away the, the just sheer genius of what God said here. And there's so much to be said about hypocrisy. Matthew chapter seven, uh, talks a lot about hypocrisy, which is of course, judge not as you be judged. And it's all about hypocrisy. It's not about don't ever judge, which we'll do one on that 
in the future. Uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily want to take away from the genius wording, but we have forgotten the other meaning that it also has. And we've put this conjecture and made it sound like he came up with this genius phrase that wasn't said before. When it was said, it was part of the law that was there. We'll continue. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. That's all he said. He just, him without sin, cast first stone. Now, if you don't go with the double meaning, he was saying, cast the first stone, the witnesses. If he wrote, let's just say, for example, just for conjecture, and I know I'm not a fan of conjecture, but let's say for conjecture, he wrote down the verse that said, the judges shall make the diligent inquisition of behold if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother so shalt thou put the evil away from among you and those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more such evil among you and i shall not pity but like go for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for foot a hand for hand foot for foot so suppose he wrote that down and then he stood up and he said he that is without sin cast the first stone. Now, if they were truthful witnesses, then according to the law, although they weren't at the gates, they were at the temple, uh, if they did their diligent one, and they did have both of them there, but they didn't. So he, he maybe he wrote the law, uh, the verse down that said, you, you need to have both the adulterer and the adulterer. So maybe you put both of these verses down. But if he put those down and then stood up and said, he is without sin, cast first stone, and then starts writing on the ground again, it says, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So their, their conscience convicted them. So would you say it was a truthful witness? that they really caught her in the act of adultery? Because if they knew the law, who was supposed to cast the first stone again? The witnesses, the one without, the witness that was without sin. So maybe, maybe the dude that framed her was standing there with them. That, that would certainly be interesting. Maybe she wasn't even caught in adultery that time. Maybe they just made it all up and provided false witness. Do we know for a fact that she committed adultery? How does the law say we would know that she committed adultery? Well, if the law was being followed by the Pharisees, we would know like we don't. Well, they, the witnesses would have the adulterer and the adulteress, the man and the woman. You would need two or more witnesses telling the truth, and you would have both of them, both the man and the woman there. They didn't have both of them there, so therefore the witness is pretty sus. I'll just overuse that since I have one, one word that works. So we don't even know if she committed adultery or not. I, I can't say she did because we don't have two or three witnesses that say she did and the man and the woman we don't so according to god she didn't according to the law of moses anyway but let's keep reading verse 10 when jesus had lifted himself verse 10 when jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman he said unto her woman where are those thine accusers hath no man condemned thee. Now, who would that be? Who would the ones be that condemned her? According to the law of Moses, it'd be the, the two or three faithful witnesses that found both of them. No one has condemned you? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go now, now that is where most people stop the verse right there. Neither do I condemn thee. See, see, Jesus doesn't condemn anyone. Do you see that? In fact, we'll go further if you're, and we'll just, let's go back to John chapter three. See it's because he said, 
And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. And we go to John 3. You know, we like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, Jesus doesn't condemn people. See that? But what if we read the whole verse? Let's go back to um, verse 11 in John 8. She said, No, man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. People leave that verse off. Jesus telling her, Go and sin no more, which would mean she has sinned. We don't know if it's adultery or not, but of course she had sinned. Let's go back to John chapter 3. We have verse 17 For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You don't have to condemn them. They're already condemned. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, which remember this, this whole thing happened right after Nicodemus was talking to the Pharisees. It's, so it's amazing how these are all connected anyway. So, it's not that Jesus never condemns sin. You're already condemned. If you, and I'll read the verse so that it's not me talking. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then if you go to John 3 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So, uh, I want to go back to verse 11 here because he said, Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. There's another time when Jesus said those words. So it's kind of a pop quiz, but I know time is moving on. So we'll jump to John 5 uh, verse 14. And this is where um, Jesus healed the impotent man so he had a hard time walking. And so he finds him later. And verse 14 says, Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. What? That Jesus said that. So the implication is, if you continue to sin something worse than him not being able to walk so he's, he's is going to come unto him if he continues to sin and I, i'm only pointing these out i'm not I'm, i want you to hear my heart here this does not mean we are to just to be going around condemning everybody and calling all the sin and everything like that I'm not, that's not the purpose of, of what I'm saying here. What I'm trying to do is show a very different thing that is written than what is purported or preached or discussed or talked about when talking about this. Most people, when they look at the woman at the well, they're like, see, Jesus didn't, didn't call out saying you're not supposed to judge. And he, you know, he's not going to condemn you because he just loved her. And he was against the religious leaders, people who were religious. That's who Jesus didn't like. That's, that's what they get of, as the theme of this. When that's not at all, at least that's not what I read. When we take in all the verses that are here, go and sin no more. Well, that sounds, that's a little judgmental, isn't it? What if I want to sin? I, I want to sin more. Well, Jesus said, if you go and sin more, something worse will happen. All right, so I want to go to a couple more places, and obviously it, we can go everywhere in the Bible, but, um, but Jesus does have mercy. He does offer forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we, forgive, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So it, this is not uh, a condemnation that it, if you... If you sinned, 
then there is forgiveness if you repent. Now, if you're just going to sin and say, well, Jesus doesn't condemn me because could look what he said, neither do I condemn me, then it's a misquote. And so we're, we're getting to where sin is treated as like dropping a lollipop in the dirt. It's not, it's not considered the same as what God has in his word. Um, the, uh, second Timothy two nineteen says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. So this is, this is a pretty solid thing here. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Well, now that's a little judgmental. I, what if, what if I want to? This should be part of a foundational belief for all of us. Uh, I know personally in my life, I did not treat my sin way uh, as the same as other people's sin. My sin was, you know, this justifiable. It's just little. It's, you know, it's no big deal. But it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what. The, your preacher thinks, what does God think? And if we're going to name the name of Christ, let's depart from iniquity. Let's go and sin no more. The, oh, I, I don't want to make God mad. And it, it is a big thing to him. Um, but let's look at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Or should we stop there or should we keep reading? Does it say there is there no no condemnation? Is that the end of the verse? No. To to who? To anyone? To everyone? To people who had a, a bit of a hard time, hit hit a bit of hard knocks. To women, to children. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, what does that mean? If does it sound like? I mean, I mean, just if you just read that first, there's no, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. What does that imply? If you are not in Christ Jesus, or you do walk after the flesh and not after the Spirit, does it seem like there's no condemnation for those either? No, there is, and. According to Jesus' words, John 3, they are condemned already. And, and not pointing fingers, uh, you, you were condemned. If you haven't been born again, that was your state. Or if, if you have been born again, don't forget that you were once in that same category. You were the condemned. And hopefully, it, you're not anymore. But the only way you're not condemned is if you're not walking after the flesh, but after the spirit. And if you are naming the name of Christ, you're departing from iniquity. It, it's a, I, I want to please God. That's what I want to do. And the only way I'm going to do that is by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's what I have to go by. Good to go by his law, to go by his word, his rules, not mine, not my will, but thine be done. That's, that is the Christian life. So I don't want to make light of sin. I also don't want it to come across that there's nothing you can do. You absolutely can get born again. You absolutely can repent and ask for forgiveness. Absolutely. And God's grace is sufficient and he has mercy and he does love the repentant. He does want you to repent. So it's there, but it's your choice. You get to decide if, if you are going to go and sin no more or not. You have a choice. Are you going to read every word of God uh, as it is in context, in, in scripture with scripture? Are you going to take this meaning of John 8 and this story that's here and you are you going to apply just one way of thinking of it or are we going to look at all the things that are there? And there's, there's so much more. I mean, all scripture is, how, how do you beat God? At, at what he wrote. How do you, how do you, uh, the Pharisees tried it. 
they tempted Jesus all the time, not by uh, following the law. It, I, I hope hope you also got that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we packed into this. If you got to listen to it again or, or mark it down. Uh, but a lot of times people talk about the Pharisees are the ones that were uh, very stringent about the law and they were the do-gooders and no sin, no sin. But we've given two instances, at least in this podcast, where they were the ones that were not following the law. It was tradition. Uh, and Jesus confirmed the law and quoted it. It's just fascinating to me when you read everything and you know what the law actually says instead of what someone said. Don't, don't believe me. Check out all those verses for yourself. And that's why we put the, the Bible in audio on the channel. Can they see it on this channel, Nathan, or do they have to go to a different spot? They, they can see it. Uh, all they have to do is just is tap on the Alive with Jesus channel. I mean, it's 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 in here. You can get access to it when you listen to this podcast. Um, oh. But yeah. So just hearing the actual words of God over and over as you go throughout your day, you can spot some patterns that you may have missed if someone is preaching part of the word and not the whole word and um, get some revelation. Let, let God speak to you through his word. So I hope uh, that is a blessing to you. It should be a blessing to you. God's forgiveness, um, God's law, God's word uh, is always a blessing. So we'll close in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us enough to provide a way out of the condemnation that we had and being able to be born again and get reconciled back to you. Help us see you and see your truth and make your truth our truth instead of the other way around and that we uh, can know your word, we can live your word, that we can uh, go and sin no more and that we can depart from iniquity and walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So guide us in what we do and think and say and bless our uh, time together. And until we meet again, and until you come and we ask all this in your name, amen.